I think the main thing within our whole department is having this really strong understanding of what criticality can be. And something that we try and do, even with our year nine and 10 students, is get our students to understand that their own personal views and opinions are completely socially constructed. So the reason they believe what they believe or act the way they act is only a result of their experiences that they've had and that everybody around them has had a different set of experiences so therefore they're going to think and act differently and believe different things. listening to the NZPE Teacher Cast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 41 of the NZPU TeacherCast. Uh, I've got a really exciting episode today. I have Alexandra Smith from King's College here with me and I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to get her on board the podcast to have a chat about her and or her team, sorry, um, approach to scholarship. I was fortunate enough to attend their workshop at Penn's conference in July down in Dunedin and what the people that attended that um I guess kind of took away from uh, Alex and the team at King's was that uh, their their approach to scholarship, they were really thinking outside the square a little bit and using all these unique ways to encourage and facilitate and promote critical thinking with their students. So I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to get Alex on board um, and she can explain some of the why behind what they do and how they do it. So um, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. It's um, great to be here and I love the opportunity to share what it is that um, my team are doing because they're pretty awesome people who work hard. Now, just just before we get started, I should have checked this beforehand before we started <laughs> talking, but um, I referred to you and when we did a, a Jordan and I did a wrap up of um, <laughs> the PENS conference, I mentioned you as Alex. Yes. Um, what, what do you normally go by, Alexandra or yeah. Alex? Um, yeah, definitely Alex. Definitely Alex. Okay. Alexandra, if it's written, but um, Alex for conversations. Okay, fantastic. I don't feel so bad then. <laughs> so before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yeah, sure. So um, I've now been teaching 10 years. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Um, and I've taught in a range of multicultural um, schools all around Auckland. So I've taught in four different secondary schools in a range of decals. So I started teaching in South Auckland um, and then went up to Orewa College um, for a year on a maternity leave position and that was my first um, HOD position and then went out to West Auckland to Rutherford College and have been at King's College for the last two and a half years. Um, about our kids, I think some people find it quite hard to believe when I say this statement but it's completely true. 
um, LPE kids at King's College are no different to any other um, PE students that I've ever taught. Um, the type of students that we get in um, physical education at King's College is very diverse. They come from a range of backgrounds. Um, they We have the battlers, just as, as any PE department does, and the, the students who are there because they're great athletes and the students who are there because they couldn't get into any other subjects, um, as well as those real awesome um, academic physical education students. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's – sorry to interrupt. I think that's oh, yeah. an easy assumption to make that King's College, um, you're going to have a lot of wealthy individuals sending their kids there. Yeah. So your particular audience or this type of student you get is going to be completely different to every other school. But you're right. I don't yeah. think that's going to make um, a load of difference. You're still going to get, like you said, the same type of kid yeah. um, in your classes. Yeah. And and for me, that was quite awesome awesome to see there you do hear lots of stereotypes around King's College and schools like King's College and first day in front of my my year 13s it was you could have been in any school and any PE classroom in Auckland definitely. Did you did you find that you were you were prepping yourself you weren't quite sure what to expect going in there so you were setting yourself up for a few strategies that you might needed to to use in the classroom? Um, I taught in a few because I taught at quite a few different schools I wasn't too worried about that. Um, I did expect that the students would be um, slightly different, maybe or more like my students at Oriwa College, um, but they weren't completely culturally diverse as RLPE classes at King's College, which was quite cool. Um, so yeah, I wasn't um, I wasn't too worried about it, but it was a nice surprise to see how diverse they were once I got there. Mm. How many senior classes do you have there? Um, ooh, we run two pathways, so we have Cambridge and NCEA. And then for our Level 3 program, we have two Level 3 classes and we have an A-level class for Cambridge. Then we have uh, one Level 2 class for PE and one Level 2 outdoor education class, which is a new course that we've introduced over the last two years. And then we have an AS class, is the Year 12 version. And then for... Year 11, we have compulsory Year 11 PE for everybody. And we also have the IG course, which is the Year 11 Cambridge course, and a full academic NCA Level 1 course for physical education and then Level 1 outdoor education. So we've got quite a lot of, a lot of classes going on now, um, which is awesome to see. The department's grown so much since I've been there. Um, we've got three extra staff now, so we've got seven staff in the department. And the addition of the outdoor red has been huge in terms of the uptake by students. The Yeah, I was for a second there, I was thinking, oh, they're, they're not that big. And then you got to the compulsory level one PE and that, um, mm. I mean, that's, a, that's a whole podcast in itself, talking yeah. about the pros and cons of that. And I went through a system where we had compulsory year 11 PE and then it was taken off us, which was, um, it was interesting. Mm. And, and I think, as long as there was a discussion around that, then, you know, you could um, justify that decision. But just in, in 30 seconds, what are your thoughts around it? Because obviously people think, you know, we shouldn't, that shouldn't be compulsory, it should be optional, or everybody should be getting PE. Well, what, what do you think about it? That's a tricky one. I think our numbers in our academic full NCA and IG at the Cambridge Year 11 course suffer because we have compulsory PE. And our compulsory PE at year 11 um, aligns more with a wellbeing program, 
rather than a holistic physical education course. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I find that a little bit tricky. I do think that the more students you have exposed to any sort of health and physical education, the better. So I do, um, I would hate to see it go. But I do see when I have my um, academic hat on and I'm sitting around a room with um, other HODs, why there is a clear argument for it to go, which is unfortunate. But we will... um, as the head of physical education, we would always always fight to have it for the well-being of our students. Nice. I think, um, yeah, I think you've just uncovered my next uh, podcast episode. That I'm <laughs> trying to chase down. I think that's because I know I know Limfield. They still have compulsory level one PE. I think. Um, yeah. And there'll be a few other schools around there. I think it might be a, a nice little discussion to have with a few mm. HODs or PE teachers. Yeah, there are a lot of HODs that have had to to keep it as well over the last couple of years yeah so tell me your thoughts and feelings from Penn's conference on the holidays your department presented so how did that go and how did you find the three days um as a department we always love going to conference we were lucky enough to have three of our teachers there me and two others which was great I think the best thing about conference is always just the networking opportunities um the time to just stop and reflect um, and your holidays with passionate educators is really what we're all about. Um, as a department, over the last probably three or four years, I've really encouraged our departments, whatever school I've been in, to present. And the main reason for that has been the workshops I really enjoy are when other departments get up and just share what they're doing. And particularly when you get up there and you share the really good things as well as the things that are not working so well, um, it's quite eye-opening and um, I can always take something from those workshops or from those presentations so I feel this duty and responsibility for us to get up there and share and even if it's something that's um, still in process or we're in the middle of an inquiry I think that it's quite important to share what's going on in your department if that's what you enjoy getting back from other people so I am a little bit um, forceful with that with the department around we're doing stuff so let's share it And um, those, when we were reflecting on conference this year, the workshops, again, that we all enjoyed were workshops that were done by other PE departments, other PE teachers who were getting up there just sharing their story or sharing their journey. So that's, um, yeah, that's the main thing that we got from conference this year. And I think that we just need to get more more teachers and more HODs and that getting up there sharing and presenting what they're doing in in their context because there's so much good stuff going on that you hear during your, your conversations that you're having with people over a beer and you can see how it could turn into an awesome presentation or awesome workshop. So, Yeah, 100%. And I always say and I always encourage people as well who are kind of thinking about it is to just, is just to make the leap. And I, yeah. I think what most people are afraid of is because it's knowledge that they have, they don't value it. But when I hear people talk about some of the things they're doing, I'm like, man, that is, that is amazing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But simply because it's them doing it, they don't, they don't perceive it to be of any value. But, um, you know, we don't network enough. And you're right. Conference does provide that fantastic opportunity. And I often find myself, uh, stepping away from workshops that I've booked into because I'm having a good discussion with somebody. Mm-hmm. You put everyone in the same place. They're in a mindset of networking. You're in a mindset of learning which you probably don't find in any other environment when you're working with other teachers. So it kind of sets the scene really well for you. And also like what you, what you mentioned about 
the group workshops, I think. So probably my two most memorable workshops I've been to at a PENS conference was uh, your one, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then there was one back in, oh, I think it was in Palmerston North a few years back was Manurewa College. Mm -hmm. uh, they ran a workshop where all their staff jumped up and, and talked about some of the stuff they're doing um, around... Oh, I, I have to I have to come up with it now because they were um, uh, not not Bloom's taxonomy. What were they doing? I can't remember it now. Never mind. But they were doing some um, some really oh some of the Pam Hook stuff, which which they were uh, using yeah, really well. Solid. Yeah, uh, solid taxonomy. They were doing that really well, and everybody just was contributing mm. what they were passionate about around how they were contributing to this. Mm. Um, overreaching goal that the department were were working towards and mm. and it was really memorable because um everybody contributed and i'm not saying that when one person gets up and shares their knowledge that it's not interesting but um i mean there's power in numbers right yeah definitely and i, I love it when departments get up there and say this is what's working for us and these are the reasons why it's working for us and you will always find some sort of common connection there and I, yeah. I think that there's, with those workshops, there's always been one or two things that you can take away and you can implement straight away rather than having to go back and research and try and find how you can put it into your, into your program if it's something that's based on academic literature or anything else like that. So, I, yeah, I love it when teachers get up there and share. I think it's so And that's always, awesome. yeah, we always say that in, in any of my workshops. Just, to, just take one thing, take the one yeah. thing that you can go and implement tomorrow and if you can do that, then you're going to get some benefit from that workshop or that conference because it's really easy to get all excited and then just forget about it and not do it. So um, that's something I always suggest. Mm. We're, we're here to talk about your scholarship program and some of the great things you and your staff do within that. Can you describe your approach to teaching scholarship with an emphasis on uh, maybe your the timetable structure and the schedule you work towards? Yeah, so our um, scholarship program is run probably primarily through our level three classes to start with. So we don't have a timetabled scholarship class, as I know some students do, or some classes do, sorry, schools. I'm not sure if I would call it a scheduled program as such it does evolve each year based on what the students needs are um what we do is at the moment or where we were at is we have a facebook group with all of the students who are sitting scholarship and we are sharing so many readings with the students at the moment they have almost picked their topics um and then what we do once we've got our students who have picked their topics our next big um move happens in two weeks' time during our mock exam. So that's the first kind of formal part of our scholarship program where we allocate, I think we've got a two-hour window this year during our internal exams where all of our scholarship students will come together and we spend lots of time unpacking scholarship for them. Um, we show them lots of exemplars during that time. We then get them into sharing what their topic is and start planning their next steps forward. From there with our scholarship program, we start being a little bit more deliberate and targeted around what support the students need. We pair them up with different teachers in the department. We then start looking at their timetables and start planning where their pressure points are and start setting some deadlines. We try as best as we can to do that collaboratively with the individual students 
around when their internal exams are, when their external exams are, when their internal assessments are due, their sporting commitments and all of that. So we may have we've got about 12 students sitting scholarship this year and that could be 12 different deadlines for their first draft. Um, the You've got a question um, later on around the Dragon's Den, but that's um, a key part of our that examination time during our internal exams where we get the students to nut out their, um, their topics. So I'll save that for when we get down to that okay. question. Um, in terms of the support that the staff have to give um, the students, at this point everyone's quite hands-off. So the only um, work that the department or myself are doing is just sharing lots of readings. And when we see these students around school or when they're in our level three classes, it's just prompting them with critical questions around, did you read this article? What did you think? Did you see different perspectives? And that there is just um, immersing the students in criticality, which is a big part of our program. So although we're a little bit deliberate with it, um, the students don't necessarily know that that's preparation for scholarship. Uh, towards towards um, probably about the last two or three weeks before it's due, that's when we really ramp up our program. So that's when the students have had maybe one or two rounds of feedback from two different teachers um, on their, their draft report, and they are in completely um, differing levels of finished. We'll have some students who think they're finished and some who have written 10 pages. And then we schedule some evenings where we just pretty much lock the students down for normally about two, two or three evenings, and we just get them to cram it out. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the approach we take in terms of the structure of our program. We do have the luxury that in Auckland, um, Auckland Pens runs a couple of scholarship workshops, and that's run by a group of amazing volunteers. And some of our students take those up and, and others don't. So if they choose to take that up, they can go along to those workshops and get a little bit more background in terms of what scholarship is, what level of criticality is required, where to find valid research. Uh, but again, that's not compulsory. That's just for um, students who wish to or who are available to attend. And those workshops supplement what we do within our Level 3 program and during those informal but deliberate conversations that we have when the, with the students. Mm. I, yeah, one, one thing that really surprised me, and I, I mentioned this in, in your workshop, and I think I saw when you guys started talking that uh, a whole lot of weight came off other teachers' mm. shoulders that were there attending, was that you, you're not hands-on until really, really late in the program. Mm. And that was really surprising. Like I, I felt – for us, I thought for a successful program, you'd be hands-on sort of term two. You're just jumping straight into things. Mm. What's what's your reasoning behind that? And do you think that, I mean, obviously there is a reason for it, but you don't feel that if you'd started earlier, you might see better results out the other end? Yeah, I think the main reason we don't need to start earlier is that we've got a lot of faith in our Level 3 program and that our Level 3 program is preparing our students for scholarship. If you're looking at Level 8 of the curriculum and then mapping that against the mark schedule for scholarship, it's just that step up. So if you're teaching to high excellence or to Level 8 of the curriculum in everything you're doing in your Level 3 program, that's your prep for scholarship. 
And that, that's the way we do it. And we've definitely moved away from looking at those low excellence exemplars um, that we can sometimes go to on NZQA and thinking that's, yeah. that's the standard. Um, and going back to what the New Zealand curriculum says level eight is and going back to the achievement standards and what's actually required for a really solid excellence or an outstanding excellence at level three. And that's our benchmark. And I think if you're not doing that or you're unable to do that within your level three program, then the need to start in term two would be a lot greater. Um, yeah, but that's, that's probably our main reasons why we don't need to also, um, we're just so busy, <laughs> so incredibly yep. busy. If I had to, yep. had to think about scholarship in term two, uh, when I don't have a scholarship class and I don't have really time within our um, day to schedule that even before school or after school, um, I think it, we would just lose students. Um, they would, it, which is quite common in scholarship, where you have, you know, fifteen to start with, and then they drop off because um, it's so so long away the deadline and pressure points start happening and they can't see the end whereas we keep it quite tight in those last couple of weeks yeah, yeah. Two, two things stick out for me there first of all i think um i clearly have a very inadequate level three program here at rongatai college but that's all right um but you mentioned about those benchmarks and you're right when i'm comparing uh, student work and I'm making sure, you know, I'm checking, I'm doing some reading beforehand or I'm comparing and contrasting to some exemplars. I'm always jumping to the low merits, the low excellences, the lower cheat because I'm like, just get them, just get them over the line. What I need to get them over the line. Whereas what you're saying is, well, no, no, we should be prepping our kids for the next step. And if we're prepping them for the next step, if we are looking for just getting them over the line, we're doing them a disservice. So instead going through and focusing on well, what's upper end of level eight and what does that look like and how is that going to help them um, at scholarship? So for me, that's already one massive takeaway from this episode is um, that I'm going to reframe the way I look at exemplars and marking schedules. Um, and I think by reframing that, the outcomes for my students are going to be much better because already straight away, I'm going to put myself in a different mindset in the way I approach the learning with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And then that jump to scholarship is not as scary as um, students initially think it is. Yeah. What do you what do you think are the attributes of an ideal PU scholarship student? And do you think just further to that, do you do you shoulder tap or do you just open it up for anybody? Um, we shoulder tap. We shoulder tap quite deliberately. Anyone can do it. And if there's a student who we feel isn't at that level, we'll, we'll have a pretty honest conversation with them. So we do shoulder tap. We do, um, a little bit controversial here, we do open it up to non-PE students. Um, this year I don't have any, but normally quite um, quite late. I normally get approached by a couple of very academic students who don't take PE who ask to do scholarship, and I'm more than more than happy to help them as well. Um the main things that we look for with the students that we shoulder tap is the students who are your critical thinkers but who are passionate about debates as well. It's the students who, when someone poses a, a point of view in class, that they will come back and rebut it, but they'll rebut it with a little bit of research or with a specific example. 
Um, the next thing that we look for, which is huge, is they've got to be really resilient. They've got to be hardworking and resilient and be really prepared to seek feedback and then be the students who actually act on the feedback. So that's the main, that hardworking, resilient students who continually wanting to make themselves better or wanting to learn more is probably the main characteristics that we're looking for when we're shoulder tapping students. And ironically, they're often not your straight excellence PE students. Um, we've got quite a few students who do scholarship PE who sit at that merit low excellence level but will grind their way through. And then towards the end of the year, they're, they're starting those last kind of two achievement standards of the year. They're starting to hit that excellence mark when that criticality is, um, when that penny's dropped for them. So... That's the main things that we look for with our students. It's the ones who get really passionate about a debate and whose points of views change when they hear something else or when they read something. And uh, that willingness to act on feedback um, is huge. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's quite common. And what I find is with those excellent students is they're very um, they're very certain of what they know, and mm. I don't think that's a good skill when you're looking at thinking critically. Um, mm. I, I think you need to be able to be accepting of um, different approaches and be able to sit on the fence and look at both sides and be able to be forward thinking and um, and what the next step might be. And mm. you're right, those are not always the excellence kids, but they're the kids who are quite happy to um, take on board feedback and change mm. their, their perception or their view of something based on evidence. So um, that's something that's an interesting point you made there too. Yeah. What are some, what are some, I mean, you talked about sharing a lot of content early on and readings and stuff like that, but what are some simple strategies and techniques for improving the ability of our students to think critically? Because it, it is a challenging thing to do. Mm. Um, I think the main thing within our whole department is having this really strong understanding of what criticality can be. And something that we try and do even with our year nine and 10 students is get our students to understand that their own personal views and opinions are completely socially constructed. So the reason they believe what they believe or act the way they act is only a result of their experiences that they've had and that everybody around them has had a different set of experiences so therefore they're going to think and act differently and believe different things. And when you start getting your students to understand that, then they start pushing beyond just strengths and weaknesses or just positives and negatives, which probably used to be the way I would have started teaching criticality to year nine and tens. I would start with a basic PMI and then maybe move to a SWOT analysis and use the tools rather than developing the student's understanding of what criticality is. So that's something that we're quite big on in the department is trying to get our students to understand where they sit within society and how how different people think and feel and act and that there's no right and wrong and that that's all just a result of everything that's happened to that individual up to this point and how your points of view will can continue to change and grow and develop based on what happens to you. So mm. that was quite a big shift in my teaching of, of criticality because um, it did used to start you know, just with a very basic 
positives and negatives and then I would would add the interesting in there and then the suggestions and would just use these tools rather than develop that understanding with the tools. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, kind of the approach we try and take um, all the way from our year nine program. Um, Our units of work really allow for that. So we have units of work at um, year nine and 10 looking at the socio-cultural factors that influence participation of self and others um, we spend a lot of time unpacking what bias or hegemonic power, even with our year nines and tens. Um, yeah, so that's our main way of embedding that criticality through everything that we do from year nine. Yeah, and I think in, in this day and age, I think that that really needs to happen. Um, mm. We don't we don't do it well enough here. Uh, one of the best people I've seen do it is Cam Smith, who's HOD mm. at Wellington East, and he does it really well from a practical yeah. perspective. And if you can make those those learning that learning practical, then it's really going to stick with the kids. So, um, if you're listening and you want some ideas, hit up Cam Smith because he, you know, he was he's done some really like just as an example, um, putting and when he was at Scots College was running the netball program and, and getting the kids and um netball dresses and then a whole lot of stuff around um ethnicity in sport mm-hmm. and some of the bias that that happens there and and he was really breaking down some of those issues really well but in a practical sense it's easier to talk about it get up in front of the class and and talk about these concepts um, but that's not always going to be a good basis for learning for the students. If you can put that into a practical sense, then um, they're really going to understand that a lot better. Mm. Um, but I, I love what you're doing, you know, bringing it in early and then just building each year, just layering more and more stuff on there so that yeah. when they get to your level three, you know, this is why obviously why your level three program is so successful because they've had all of that layering all the way through. Mm. Yeah, and I think when the students can recognise their own position within these stereotypes that exist, then it becomes even that little bit more powerful as well. When it's not yeah. just this is what societal stereotypes are, well what role do you have within that stereotype? That's when that criticality starts becoming quite powerful. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, Cam has some great thinking tools on that. Dragon's Den. So this was yeah. this was my highlight from Pens. Um, so what is it and how did you manage to come up with such a unique idea? Uh, yeah, well, I can't claim the name. I didn't even realise that it, what we were doing was was like the Dragon Den that came from um, from Robert Patterson and in, in our department. But it started the first time scholarship PE changed from an exam to a report. And what I used to do was sit down one on one with the scholarship students when they were picking their topic. And something I always wanted them to do was to sell me their topic. Tell me why they've picked that topic. What are the key parts to that topic or the key areas that you're going to focus on? Um, and they had to really sell the different points of view within that. And there were multiple reasons why we, why I got them to do that. And it was the area that they spoke the most about was probably where their bias would lie. So that was quite a nice way to identify that that's where their point of view probably sits already. So from that, we were able to direct my attention as the teacher overseeing that student around they're going to need some more thinking or more readings in another point of view. Um, So it just started one-on-one to start with. But then as 
my scholarship numbers increased and at King's College we I was able to schedule that examination time during our internal exams. I got them to do as a group and the really awesome thing was I'd thrown the email out to all the teachers that were free in the department at that time and said, I'm going to be doing this, would love if you could pop in and um, share your points of view with the students and hear what our what our students are thinking. And uh, four, four or five teachers turned up. So when they turned up, they all sat there and one teacher got a pen and paper out and started taking notes and then it just evolved into now this quite deliberate dragon's den where uh, the students stand up there in front of the class and present their, well, in front of all of us teachers and present their idea and then we give our feedback and we're quite deliberate on the areas that we're going to give feedback on based on our strengths as um, a department, which is quite cool. And then we realised that the students wanted to start giving feedback as well and they come up with some amazing ideas. So from that, it's now um, a very deliberate part of our scholarship program that the scholarship students are aware that that's, that's what happens during that exam um, internal exam time. They're going to come in and they're going to have to sell us their topic and outline uh, the different sections or the different questions that they're going to try and answer through their report and that they're going to hear from four, five, six, depending how many PE teachers are free at the time, hear from all of us and our um, expertise or questions that we have. And then the students are, going, are expected now. Before it was just um, if you have anything to say, but we now expect that those students that are sitting in scholarship will contribute and will question and challenge the topics of each other. And um, it works quite well. It works, works really well. They, uh, they get quite protective of some of their ideas and just sitting there hearing what the department has to offer as well is really cool because the students then know who they can go to for help yeah, around, around certain areas. And there was a classic comic that came out from one of our um, students who got scholarship last year. And, oh, no, actually he missed out by one mark. He was a year 12 boy. And he said, I didn't realize how much you guys all knew. So for him, it was just um, just sitting there with teachers that he's got really good relationships with, um, and the penny hadn't dropped that actually his PE teachers know a little bit of stuff. So um, they, they really enjoy enjoy seeing us rattle off different readings or books that we that we want them to go see or a TED talk or something like that. So yeah, we as teachers as well, we we really quite enjoy doing that and hearing the different topics that they've come up with and what support we can offer them. How, how, how much pitching, like, you know, you, when you watch Dragons then, there's a, there's a strong pitch. Do the kids take that approach or do they more just describe but the, what, what their, their topic might be or do they really pitch it hard? Oh, some students pitch it hard when we start oh, nice. challenge, when we start challenging them, them on maybe it's not a deep enough topic or it's too narrow or, something like that, and then they'll think of a completely different angle to look at their their issue or their question, which yeah. becomes quite cool. Um, other students are a little bit intimidated by it, and within that scholarship group of students, we still have huge a huge range of abilities. So for some of them, it is, it is quite intimidating. Um, and for others, these, these are our critical thinkers. These are the kids who love a debate. So 
yeah. if one of, one of us throws something at them that they don't agree with, they'll definitely come back at us. Yeah, I, I, I just love this idea. I think it's so cool. And, and I forgot to mention to you, um, so we, Dale and I created a bit of a resource around it for our workshops. And we, so we had two workshops last week and we ended each day where the groups had about 40 minutes, maybe 30 to 40 minutes to go away and design a game-based learning activity that incorporated gamification. And they had to pitch it to us. And Dale and I were the sharks and we had to mm. critique it. And then the audience, the rest of the attendees got to do the same thing. And mm. we noticed that maybe every second group brought a whole present that brought a whole pitch a presentation and they each had roles and mm. disseminating their information and it was just fantastic such a cool experience in such a good way mm. a unique way for people to present an idea you know we ask a lot of our a lot of our and a lot of our lessons the kids we ask them to present something and if we give them the ability to take ownership of something and pitch it as opposed to just explaining it, then it makes it a lot more fun, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely seen that and hearing your, the stories you've shared about it, um, really encourage other schools to jump on board this approach. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's the kids do love it. And the biggest thing I found with scholarship, the students who are successful are the students who are really passionate about their topic. And if they have to stand up there and pitch it to you, then they're going to find out exactly what it is that they like about it and exactly what it is that really annoys them and really frustrates them. And that's that hook that's going to keep them keep them engaged right to the end. Yeah. Now, you, you've mentioned these already, but you have these evening sessions that you run at mm. school. So how do you run them? And, and why have you chosen to go with evening sessions as opposed to, say, a lunchtime or a before school? Yeah, so we've... We are very fortunate that King's is a boarding school, so we have day students as well. But as part of the boarding school environment, every boarder has compulsory prep time, they call it, homework time, and that's between 7 and 9 p.m. So any scholarship student who is a boarder between 7 and 9 p.m. once or twice a week when it's getting close to um, that due date should be working on their scholarship PE. So we just tapped into that. Uh, we have, last year, I had three teachers in the department who lived on site. So that was another way that I could get support as well. So they would, um, quite often, I would start the evening session straight after school for my day students and I would work all the way through. And then my teachers who had young families would go home and have dinner and go home and do bath time and um, go home and see, see their families. And then they would come back. And it was a nice way for everyone in the department to be able to feel like they can contribute without being, without giving hours and hours of time. It also meant that those boarding students who would have been working in their room on, on their scholarship report at nine o'clock at night were in a room with PE teachers and other scholarship um, PE students who were all working really hard and who had lots of, um, lots of information and resources that they could share. I, um, I'm kind of a firm believer in if the students are working hard, then we'll work hard for them. And that was a way where I said I'm available from straight after school until when the Wi-Fi goes off and I'm going to be here with a physical presence rather than just being at home um, working on Google Docs for them. And what I really liked about that is I got to see the journey that the students take and, um, 
the massive up and downs that they that they go through and just that extra kind of warm fuzzy feedback that they need to get these reports done because you hear so many stories of students who get three quarters of the way through their scholarship report and it just gets too much for them and it gets too much because they're overwhelmed because they're tired because they get writer's block yet if that happens when they're in a room full of other students who have experienced something similar an hour before or they're in a room with five teachers who can just read their report for them to say yeah you're on the right track then often that's all they need and um yeah, it does. We are lucky that it works for us being a boarding school that students being up at nine, ten o'clock at night working on schoolwork at school isn't weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's something that I really like. It's something that is quite unique to what we do. Um, but it does work well. It also condenses our workload a little bit because that's when I'm available to give them give them feedback or read over their work or anything like that. And, yeah, we have four or five, six teachers that are there and, like I said, they pop in and out um, based on what their commitments are. And we always have food. Um, one, of the, one of our teachers hadn't taught Level 3 or scholarship before, but he turned up on the last night with a banana cake for everybody because he was like, if you guys are working, I need to be here learning. So he came down with banana cake and just sat there with, with students when they were struggling through and it's um it's a very cool environment for for all those students to be in and seeing how hard it is for the students it just would break my heart to think that they were sitting there at home in their bedroom by themselves going through that when they can sit there and be a little bit stressed out and have a little cry with us and then they get started again I, I love the collaborative approach from the teaching mm. staff. I think that is, I mean, that is, that's massive. And I, I liked what you mentioned at the end there. We often, we head out that gate at, for some of us at 3.20, others at five o'clock. But unless, I mean, even if we are checking Google Docs at home, we're, we're, we're so far removed from mm -hmm. the experiences that our children, that our students are having, that we don't give it any thought. But just, I mean, you, just what you said there, that you dread, dreaded thinking about a kid at home battling mm -hmm. through their scholarship draft and they could be facing a whole lot of emotions, but they don't have that support there. Yeah. So um, what you're explaining here around providing an environment where they can feed off one another and learn from the teachers, um, it's a set period of time. I think that's a and, – and like and, – and I think you have to be, and you're very clear about it, that works for you. That might not work for other people, mm. but it's definitely something worth considering if your your school would benefit that. Like I think I think to my school where we have a lot of a lot of boys are very local and that sort of thing could work. And mm. we only have a small scholarship program. So if you had one or two staff there, you can drop them at home afterwards if if they need yeah. it. But I, I think it's it has potential to work here, but other schools that mm. might be uh, might draw from a wider area are probably going to battle with something like that. But mm. the collaboration, I mean, that's it's tough. You know, what mm. our job is tough, and I'm I'm just going to roll straight into the next question. But you know, our workload issues in teaching are huge, and mm. and we talked a little bit beforehand, but it's driving good teachers away from the profession, and you know. 
you've talked about all of these things that add massive time to what is already a difficult job to balance our lives. You know, you mentioned young kids, you mentioned family, and these are all really important things to people. But where do you think we draw a line and and how do you personally manage with all of these extra responsibilities? Yeah, I I think the way that we run our scholarship program being so condensed, in terms of it being a massive workload, I don't see it as that. It's three, it was three evenings last year, so three big evenings. And those last two weeks are, are pretty full on in terms of your scholarship program. But I think whether I did those those late evenings or not, they would be full on. Um, in terms of where do you draw a line, I'm, yeah, I kind of think if our students are working hard, then then I'll continue to work hard for them. And it's not, in those last couple of weeks of scholarship, it's just posing lots of questions and being that support person for them and knowing that there's somebody there who knows what they're going through and someone who's just going to be there with them for the journey. So it's not um, it's not hard work. It's um, just giving, yeah, for me it's giving out, giving out three evenings. Um, in terms of balancing, um, you know, your work-life balance. I think that as teachers, we're terrible at doing it. And um, I just know it's just so much part of what I do in terms of scholarship program that I know those two weeks leading up to scholarship are going to be really busy. Just like we know just before our seniors leave, then we're you know, making sure that all those students who need their credits get their credits. And during report time, we know that that's a big week. So it's definitely a pressure point in the year. Um but there's, there's other weeks that aren't like that. So that's my kind of thinking on, on the workload. I don't ever have the expectation that other teachers will be there. Um, they, the teachers who are there want to be there. And if they didn't want to be there, then they wouldn't, wouldn't be useful for the students and then they wouldn't need to be there. Um, so it's definitely not a expectation at all that the teachers are there. Um, and I think we're quite good in the department in terms of balancing that. Well, if someone's been at one of those late nights the night before, but they've got period one off, then I say I don't come in until period two. If someone has period, you know, the last period of the day off, I'll say go home and then they can come back. So we do try and look after each other and look after each other's well-being as much as we can during those pressure points. But scholarship's just another pressure point, as is so many other weeks during our year. I think that says a lot about the type of leader that you are. Um, you know, I, I do. A, I, I like reading about transformational leaders, and that and that sort of leadership is about when you have a vision of what you want to see achieve or occur in a set environment. And for you, obviously, it is um, the joy that you take from seeing these kids um, improve and develop their knowledge and their skill set throughout the year. And you've obviously been able to portray this in a way that your other staff, despite the massive white, you say it's not a big commitment and it's condensed, yeah. but I, I think otherwise, listening yeah. to you speak. But you've obviously portrayed this in a way to them that they, they, you know, you say that they're not expected, but they're jumping on board. And yeah. it seems like they're getting right behind you. So I, I think that's a big pat on the back to you on the way that you yeah. approach, approach that. Cause I think that's, that's awesome. And that's one of the best characteristics. 
of mm. of a leader in, in any context is that people are willing to get behind them and support the things that they value. So um, yeah. well done for that. Yeah. One one of the questions that came up at Penn's conference related to teacher feedback and authenticity of student work within a mm. portfolio approach. How do you approach yeah. this and, and where do you think we need to draw a line with regards to helping students? Yeah, that, that is something that I think always comes up and I do, I'm not quite sure where it comes from. I'm not quite sure why teachers feel like they don't necessarily understand teacher judgment and teacher boundaries around, around feedback. Um, in terms of where we draw the line. We're pretty clear as we are with all of our internal assessments and even with our junior students when they're doing um, any any piece of work that we're there to pose questions, we're there to support and encourage, we will um, point them in the right direction of research or any previous learning that they've done that might be useful. And that's that's where our where our teacher feedback comes from and where that always sits. Um, we, during our presentation at conference, I did a screencast of the amount of feedback that we gave and the intent of that was to show the crafting of the work and the crafting of the work that's required at level eight of the curriculum as well as beyond for scholarship and that when our students write a passage of work or write something that we want them to be making sure that they're making reference to all of the awesome um, work that they've done in either their other achievement standards or making reference to any of the readings that they've done. So in terms of the feedback that we give our students, it's so many questions that we pose to them rather than you need to include this. In terms of the vocab that we use during our feedback, and this is something that I learned years ago at one of those um, best practice workshops, is that to use the vocabulary that's available to the students already. So we use lots of the vocab from the scholarship mark schedule, and that's something that we've unpacked with the students during their um, time during the mock exams, and that will be what we're what we use in our feedback. So we'll pose questions and we might um, use one of the words around um, coherent judgments are needed for an outstanding skull or um, make sure that you're um, make sure that you're re- using a wide range of references. Um, so those are those are some of the comments that we'll put in that aren't questions. And then other than that is just posing questions or lots of the time it's where did you get this from <laughs> when students have mm-hmm. have put sentences in there um, as a as a reminder of use research so that's um that's where we are in terms of giving our feedback um in the at the presentation at conference i think a few people were concerned that we were maybe writing um reports for students or writing sentences or um, that the students kept coming back to us for feedback and something that happens particularly on those late evenings when it's getting pretty close to the deadline, the students want us to stop giving them feedback and the main reason for that is because whenever we give them a bit of feedback, 
we've just created more work for them. We've just, <laughs> we've just given them another reading that they've, that they told us they read, but haven't. And they've now got to go back and find it and read it again. Or mm. we've told them that there's this real cool YouTube clip that they're going to love. And they know that they're going to get lost in YouTube for another hour. <laughs> and, um, so our, our feedback is very much around, um, it's giving them more work and, and extending the students and they have to make the links and connections to what that could look like within their report. And that, that feedback that we give is, um, no different to the, to the rules and guidelines that we put in place with our, um, with all of the feedback that we give students right from year nine all the way through to year 13. Yeah. I, I personally think a lot of it is a bit of fear from some of these teachers that, um, like, like myself, I, you know, and I've, mar- I've marked one portfolio a lot and I, I still struggle to get my head around it. So, um, I, I think a lot of it is just fear around how can they give, what is the best way to give feedback? How do mm. they make sure they don't cross that line? Um, because it is mm. still relatively new. Um, yeah. so I, I, I guess, you know, if you're, if you're approaching it like you would any other piece of work, um, mm. it, it's just that it's over a longer period of time. If our achievement standards mm. took eight weeks, 10 mm. weeks to do, then you're going to be giving a lot of feedback. Um, yeah. You're not going to be doing the work for them though. Definitely no. not. No. Something else that I always find quite, quite interesting, particularly around the scholarship one, when this question comes up, like, I don't think I could write a scholarship report. <laughs> I mean, most I'm of us. I'm down with that stuff. Yeah. Like most of us in the PE department are sitting there and we're just blown away with what these students are coming up with. It's so academic, the level of thinking that they're, um, able to articulate so clearly is so far above anything that I could write. So I do kind of have a little bit of a laugh when, when that might be, might be suggested, um, that there's, that there's a line that may be crossed because I'm actually just not intelligent enough to even, <laughs> even cross that line. Okay. Um, yeah. I hope that answers that question because yeah, I know no, that's one that comes up lots. It does, I think. Hey, before we get to the last question, is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the, the biggest thing around scholarship PE that I kind of want everyone to everyone to know is that, you just you just kind of get stuck into it, and if you've got got some students who are passionate about it, um, it's quite a cool journey to take with them. And particularly if you're a, a level three teacher and you like getting um, getting into deep discussions around different topics and different points of views, it is a really cool journey to take with mm-hmm. those students. And um, yeah, I just encourage more people to more people to do it because it is really cool to see how far students thinking. Um, changes and evolves as a result of going through the scholarship journey. Yeah, good, good encouragement. Okay, last question. Okay, last question. We are, where are we? We're about to hit September, and mm. you know, you know, you're at a position where you know your students really well. Can you make a judgment call on how many scholarships you're going to get this year, and then maybe we can revisit next year or mm. do some reflection? Um, yeah, that's that's always a really tricky question. We. Um, <laughs> I, I am very fortunate that I'm in a school where they don't ask me that because I have heard of some schools have asked um, the HODs to put down on paper at the start of the year or set targets for how many scholarships they're going to get. It is, a um, bit, yeah, it is a bit of a loaded question. Yeah. Um, the, I'm not going to directly answer it straight away. Um, the way we sell scholarship to our students and the way 
is because we believe that going through the scholarship process is actually going to benefit our students regardless of whether they're successful in scholarship or not. And I actually had the discussion today with one of my students who was trying to pull out a scholarship and I said that the skills that they're going to learn by going through writing a piece of work that's that substantial using that many different um, pieces of research from a range of modes and just that constant crafting of their work is skills that they're going to need to be successful in uni for first, second and third year. And and we firmly believe that as a department and that's that's the main reason why we run scholarship is because we have students who are really interested, who are really capable and we now see the benefits for them whether they're successful or not. So that's kind of the main reason how, that's kind of the main measure that we have of whether our scholarship program is successful. Um, but come that first, second week in February, <laughs> when those results come out, we do, as a department, sit around and, and wait until they get released. And um, last year, yeah, we got five scholarships, I think it was, and we had two students who missed, or three students who missed out by one mark. Um Looking at the students we have this year, it's, it's hard to say, but I would like to think that we would get three, I would think. So, yeah, the three, threes. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking three. Um, like I said earlier on, though, we're just at the point where students are picking their topics. So, early days. Um, yeah, so it's still, although it's coming up to September, um, it is still early days for our program. Um, but I'm thinking three, and that's based on we had one year twelve student who did it last year who missed out by one. So I'm I'm fairly confident he's um, his thinking and his academic writing and his criticality has developed heaps over this year. So I'd like to think that he would. And then we've got got another two um, students who are pretty sharp and who are um, who have been just so excited about trying to pick their topic, and we've been kind of pulling back, going, "You've got time, don't worry about it." So. So yeah, I think we would be um, yeah, pretty happy with three. Yeah, I, and I like how you framed your response there because I think there are a lot of schools around New Zealand who are doing scholarship or pushing scholarship for the wrong reasons, mm. whether that's um, to make their school look better or for uh, self promotion, validation, and, and and you know, I'll put I'll put my hand up and say, you know, when I moved to Rongatai, that was I, I knew scholarship was a focus, and I thought, well, if I can come in and turn our scholarship program around, then that's going to make me look good. And again, that's how selfish is that? That's the complete wrong Mm -hmm. reason that you would try to do scholarship well. You know, it should be about the kids first. I mean, they're our core business. Um, It's going to boost relationships with the kids. It's going to improve outcomes for them across the board in all areas of learning for them within secondary school. Um, There's just so many other reasons to be doing that. So I I think you framed that response well um, mm. and and I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for, for coming on and sharing your knowledge around scholarship because it is a tough thing for teachers to get their head around and there are still um, many schools who aren't picking it up because it's so challenging and they're just mm. um, missing out on this great opportunity to uh, have their students demonstrate critical thought um, so I, I think this is going to be a really popular episode and there's lots of gems for students to pick up and uh, for teachers sorry to pick up and run with straight away um, so I really do appreciate you jumping on at 
10 to 10 on a Monday <laughs> evening. It's, it's hard trying to fit these in. I know yeah. we, we, we had a few dates that we had to, to skip over. So um, that's, I guess, part of being a, a busy teacher. But um, you've yeah. added, added a lot of value, so I really do appreciate that. Well, thank you. It's been great chatting about this. It's um, yeah, given me a few more little ideas of things that we we could include in our program as well over the next couple of months. Nice, nice. Well, I hope the rest of the year goes well for you. Yeah, thank you. You too. All right. Thanks, Alex.